1: Hi Sarah.
0: Hi Sarah. G'day Sarah. I'm Peter from Bendigo.
1: I have a question. What is so important about this election? I'm Sarah Wilson and you're listening to This Wild Election, a mini-series that will help everyone who gives a shit about the stuff that defines our nation to make their vote count. Well, this has certainly been a wild election campaign. And look, I am so, so grateful to all of you listening for coming on this ride with me. I've learned a lot in the process, but I'm also glad it's over. It has been exhausting intellectually and emotionally and psychically. Some of you might agree, but there's been a few pivotal moments that I have noticed along the way, or I guess reflections of what might be happening out there in Australia at a broader level. There has been a lot of engagement from Australians, more than I remember from previous elections. We had the highest enrolment day in history when the polls opened, with record numbers of young people getting on the electoral roll. We've also seen up to 40% of Australians saying they won't be voting for the major parties this election, and that's massive. It also, I guess, reflects a big movement to the independents and the Greens and the other minor parties like the UAP and One Nation. It's largely been led by women and young people. Oh, and I also should throw in there that there's been a record number of you tuning in to this podcast, to this wild election series. Finally, last Friday, so more than a week out from election day, pre-poll voting was at three times the number in 2019, which could be screaming, enough already, please make this end. Or it could be suggesting that Australians have got themselves informed and excited. And I will flag, I did a pre-poll vote. Um, I'm not going to be in my state on Saturday. And if you're in the same position, I'd say get to a polling booth now so you can do a pre-poll or you can look up an interstate voting booth that's going to be close to where you are on Saturday. But I will just point out, it's not the normal voting booth. So you'll have to do a little bit of research and you can look up those booths on the Australian Electoral Commission website and I'll put that in the notes. Regardless of all of that, I do think Australians have been shaken up from a recent history of believing, you know, she'll be right, that government and democracy is being taken care of, it's in a safe place, nothing to see here. You just stay relaxed and quiet, as Scott Morrison likes to tell us. Two, having our collective eyes prized wide open and somewhat freaked out into action. If there was a refrain that sums up what I've been hearing, it's this. I can't believe it got this bad, followed by, I haven't been paying attention, followed by, can you send me that podcast link again? Okay, so I'm pretty keen to wrap this all up with some closing thoughts. And I also want to answer a few last minute questions that you've been asking. And I thought I'd bring some levity to things today and invite one of the esteemed hacks from the Batuta Advocate to join me. That's the satirical news site. And I should emphasize satirical because you wouldn't be the first person to mistake their incredibly witty news, quote unquote, reports for reality. Because honestly, I think that's where we're at, where art or comedy and life, it's really hard to tell the difference these days. And I should just say, if you're not already following Batuta on Instagram and via their podcasts, please do. It's really worth it. Welcome to Wild Wendell Hussey.
2: Thanks for having me, Sarah. It's uh, great to be down in Sydney. Well, it's great to be in your recording booth, Sydney, not so much. I've paid my tolls for walking on the street, (laughs) for breathing the Sydney air, had an expensive coffee, but I'm I'm out of the buzz and I'm into the studio, so it's great to be here. How are you?
1: I'm great. I'm used to the exorbitant coffee prices. Was it far west Queensland? Far yeah, north Queensland? far west
2: Queensland, the channel country. It's out kind of in the corner of Queensland there. Queensland, South Australia, New South Wales. Closest capital city is actually Adelaide. So Sydney's a long way from home. And they do warn you about Sydney prices. Everyone says it, but it just mm. um, it really shocks you when you get down here. You just you save up. quite prepare.
1: You save up. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've been watching this election as I think it's Australia's oldest newspaper, Batuta Advocate. that's us. Yeah, so you have been watching this with a particular lens, I suppose. I'm wondering if we can kick off by talking through, I suppose, your favourite I don't know, face slap moments. There's been a lot of unprecedented that have happened mm. this, this election. What kind of trend have you been witnessing from out West?
2: From out West, one of the big trends for us has just been the craziness of this news cycle and this campaign, it's been so compressed and it just feels like every single day we're being bludgeoned with things. The gotcha questions have probably mm. been a real point that has kind of raised a few eyebrows out here because I think the feeling for us is that with the gotcha questions that we're seeing so much of, it really detracts from actual conversations around policy and what these politicians who we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to work for us are going to do with their positions of power it feels like you know we're seeing people getting called out for gotcha questions and it kind of that generates headlines for a day or two and we just roll on to the next thing you know tiktok has kind of seen a lot of these moments and it's that platform you know you're just scrolling on to the next on to the next on to the next and that's kind of what this election i feel like has Become a bit. It's become just a bit of a TikTok election where we're just rolling to the next thing. You know, you hear scandals, you hear gaffes and all of a sudden a week goes by, and it's like, oh, geez, yeah, that was a scandal or a gaff, and you know, we've really moved on from it. Where was the policy? Where was the policy? What are we talking about? And what is this election about, really? What are Mm -hmm. the what are the battle lines between these parties that we're seeing? And it's kind of hard to tell sometimes.
1: Yeah, I guess in the gaps, like what I've observed is you know, I went out and did pre-poll voting and I was just astounded by the number of young white men in the queue holding UAP forms. And, you know, I've been picking up a little bit on it. I have a few people commenting on my feeds, talking about it, about this need for freedom and to Mm. preserve freedom. And it's just, I don't know, Wendell, I find the irony of white men in Australia kind of bleating that they don't have enough freedom, it's it's a bit much you, to handle. You think
2: that, you know, places like Ukraine or Afghanistan or Yemen, or you know, I think freedom might be more of a concern over in places like that, as opposed to young white men in Australia feeling like- Who don't like having, wearing masks. Yeah, who, who don't like wearing a mask on public transport. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, this freedom, freedom, freedom. Obviously, United Australia Party have been campaigning really hard on that. I found it interesting as well, the United Australia Party telling us that we can never trust the Liberals, Labor all Greens again, but they are now preferencing the Liberals in a huge swathe of seats all around the country. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. almost like Clive Palmer wants a government that is uh, going to help him out with his commercial. Mines yeah, he's going to help mines. him out with his commercial interests. So. Well,
1: he's worked out as a return on investment thing. It was $80 million last year. I think it's going to yep. be well over $100 million this year yep. that he's been spending and he wants return on investment on his uh, passage through on his minds. Got to yeah. spend money to make money. The moderate Liberal in my electorate, Dave Sharma, has preferenced at the Mm. UAP. That's his second preference on the how to vote card. But interestingly, Wendell, you'd love this, on the card, it preferences the candidate but doesn't actually put underneath that it's the United Australia Party.
2: Oh, so they've just got the name and you just assume maybe this guy is kind of a conservative. Yeah, right. That is cheeky.
1: The other thing I've been fascinated by is watching Australians come online to Scott Morrison's dodginess. yeah, And I think we've all been in shock. The election campaign, the last six weeks has really brought it to the surface, like a Mm. blackhead that had to to come up and be lanced at some point. Yeah, it's been quite upsetting for me to watch how shocked everybody is. I mean, you would have watched it over the last two years. I know Batuta has been following the sheer Dodginess, the bullying, the lying for quite some time. But a lot of people have just seen it in action. And it's a bit like we've all gone to a teenager's bedroom and gone, oh, we thought you had this under control, but holy shit, what's been going on in here? You know, while you've been telling us everything's fine, nothing to see.
2: Lifted up the sheets and underneath the bed, there's all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it feels like the Labor Party and the Greens and United Australia Party as well have been saving up the two years of running away from bushfires, not ordering enough vaccines constant sports rorts, car parks rorts, all this sort of stuff has just been saved up and now with this short election campaign, we're just seeing the reminders of what has kind of happened over the last couple of years with a certain figure at the spearhead. Yeah, you've been been on the ground here in Wentworth. How's the battle been in terms of Spender and Sharma head to head? What's been the vibe?
1: Well, I think in some ways it's got a little nasty at times, but Allegra is very much cornered because Mm. I think the independents are running on this idea that they're going to combat corruption and they're going to try to do a nicer kind of version of politics. I think Sportsbet is calling Dave at 1.8 and Allegra at 2.
2: Yeah, it's really tight. It's a flip of a coin kind of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. the polls, some of the most recent polls seem to think that Spender might be slightly ahead of Sharma.
1: Yeah, it's been fluctuating a fair bit, but in terms of Visibility, mm. there's a lot of community support, a lot more than Dave Sharma. So, in terms of going by the posters that are everywhere, yeah, we'll see what plays out there. It's hard to say. I think it's one of the hardest elections to call, and I'm sure you get lots of questions about polls. Yes, yeah. They, were, they kind of did a shoddy job last time. I think it's going to be even harder to call this time.
2: Yeah, it, it is interesting. Heaps and heaps of people do ask us um, lots of comments and questions come our way about polls and where it all sits. The interesting thing for me is we had. Dr. Rebecca Huntley on, she's been Mm -hmm. an expert in polls and she's been across it for a couple of decades. And she was saying that they have fixed a lot of the issues with polls. They're making sure they're getting more representative and the margins of error are a lot closer this time around. The one thing she did say that I thought was quite interesting was that Last election, they couldn't actually quantify how much people disliked Bill Shorten. Yeah. And that was a major factor in a lot of people voting against the Labor Party was just Shorten was just so on the nose with so many people. And I think that kind of, it might be interesting to see if that Shorten effect plays out with Scott Morrison, as you mentioned, we've seen a lot of what's happened over the last couple of years thrown up and it's been, you know, really full on and in everyone's faces. So it'd be interesting to see if that Shorten effect has a bit of a play on Scott Morrison yeah, in terms of that. Especially and- with women especially with women yeah i think there was polls out yesterday saying that deserting the liberal party in
1: there have been for in some in huge time.
2: numbers and because the major of what parties. we've seen yeah yeah it's mm. it's almost like being disrespectful and ignoring these issues has consequences at the ballot booth
1: go figure talking corruption i know that you guys follow the outrage right yep. There's been a lot of moments, I think, of, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And, you know, just general dodginess. What were the real pivotal moments for you that really got the audience, the Batuta audience, fired up?
2: It's consistently kind of got our audience fired up and sells a lot of newspapers for us in the Channel Country. Has been a lot to do with the Prime Minister's actions over the last couple of years and the gaffes in relation to certain actions or inaction, you know, and things like the. Vaccine stroll out, uh, yeah. the, you know, even the blessed comments a couple of weeks ago, the sort of stuff that gets served up that does get a lot of traction. We revealed we actually spoke to an autistic teenager here in the channel country who said that he was feeling really blessed. He didn't have a dad like Scott Morrison. <laughs> um, so that was one of the scoops that we had. But mm. yeah, there's, there's been a lot of stuff like that. Obviously, there has been the sports rorts and the car parks rorts that have been rolling over time. The defense stuff has been big as well. Yeah. You know, it's it's really interesting to the see- The submarines or do you the mean submarines, Yeah, the submarines and the Solomon Islands. And Peter Dutton and Scott Morrison have both been pretty adamant in trying to tell the population that without them, we- are susceptible to basically being invaded by China, you know, that these guys are military strongmen who will protect us. It's an interesting thought when you consider, you know, less than two months ago, it took the Prime Minister and the Defence Minister over a week to get 500 ADF troops up to somewhere like Lismore after a natural disaster. So, you wonder really how effective they're going to be if a global superpower decides to invade us. Mm. But that's kind of the way they've been positioning themselves. So, that sort of stuff has been getting traction. But I mean- there has just been so much of it in this news cycle. It's interesting, probably now a month ago, there were revelations that Angus Taylor, he's our energy minister, he was involved in some dodgy water buybacks and you know interference in properties out west of Sydney here. There was also revelations from an insider at basically the body that gives out carbon credits. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it'll- give carbon credits Andrew to Andrew
1: McKenzie I think his name was Yes was name? I believe that yeah. was his name
2: yeah so they give out um, carbon credits for people to reforest or not to deforest and he came out and basically said that you know 80%. 80% 80% of these credits given out are basically a scam and they're dodgy and that's to the tune of nearly 2 billion dollars I think it was 1.6 as was the conservative estimate of the credits that have been giving out so yeah it's crazy to see that you know potentially couple of billion dollars worth of carbon credits are just being given out dodgily and doesn't even make a wave anymore because we've just had so much going on over the last couple of years.
1: I think that's what It's it is. It's, we've got absolute overwhelm and it literally is where do you start and end with mm. all of this? And I do think the overall impression is hitting home. There was a period where it was kind of people didn't quite believe it could be that bad.
2: And we're seeing so many big numbers as well. Like there's just been a hundred million here, a billion here, a few hundred million here that it just rolls in on itself. And I guess, you know, some people might see it didn't get a lot of traction, but some people might see this. $1.6 billion and go, oh, well, you know, it's been given out, it's been done this. Well, you know, what was $2.4 billion or something like that was the costings for an increase for aged care workers, that's it. you know, and that's potentially gone on dodgy.
1: Oh, $1 billion, I think, to address domestic violence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. They're not coughing up for no, that. We can't so- cough
2: up for that. And there can be, you know, conversations around how costly it is and where's the money going to come from. But when it comes to things like this, Basically, that yeah. money can just go,
1: or a five point one percent increase in wages. Yeah, well, look, d- we can't do that. A day, society, an hour.
2: society will collapse if we raise people's wages by a dollar an hour. So you know,
1: yeah, it's interesting. I do, I find it really interesting that those sort of very granular things are what appeal to your audience. Mm. But people had to start paying attention, I guess. Look, we we might cut to some nuts and bolts questions because yep. that seems to be where a lot of the listeners to my yep. podcast series are at. I've got a question that's um, come in from quite a number of people. I would say several dozen have reached out to me. People from Queensland, so that's why I'm directing it to you, Mm -hmm. saying that they only have the major parties plus UAP and One Nation to choose from in their electorate and they care about climate quite a number, I would say, sort of eight or so have come from Marinoa electorate. Is that yep. your electorate?
2: Marinoa is our electorate. David Littleproud's our- um, There we go. Yeah, yeah, he's our local member and pretty high margin. I think it was 27.4% at the last election. That's his margin. Yeah, that's his margin. And so, obviously, because we're so far from a marginal electorate, that means we don't get you know a lot of new car parks. Really, I mean, our health facilities, they're all underfunded. We have a lot of issues with funding because we're just such
1: a safe national seat out here so they want to know how to vote if mm. they care about climate they feel a bit helpless I suppose and this is coming a lot from different seats like that one where they've you know there's they're not a marginal seat and there's no greens or independent candidate that they can vote for so what would you advise if they care about climate if that's their main concern if
2: climate is your main concern it is really a tricky one we had Matt canavan who was the former resources minister senator for the National Party he was saying that Net Zero is dead so that was maybe a week ago so we're not seeing a lot from the nationals in terms of that they've tried to barnaby joyce the leader of nationals has tried to rein him in and say no we do want to commit to something
1: i think we can say all three have no climate policy Uh,
2: one nation obviously um, they're still trying to figure out what policies to come up with now that you know we've kind of had some issues with borders over the last couple of years. So they're a little bit confused on that. And United you know, Australia Party, well, you know, we've got a billionaire uh mining Coal magnate. Miner. So mm. tricky options in those three. I'd say if you're really concerned about climate change, have a look. If you can try and find someone else there. Labour, I suppose, is yeah, gonna be yeah a- your best Labor's probably your best bet. We haven't actually seen heaps from the Labor party either. Inevitably, it'll probably be better than what we'll see from the LNP. But yeah, it's a tricky one. If you've only got those three, I'd say you probably got to go for the LNP. They're probably going to be organised to do the most. um, I think they'd have the
1: option of a Labor member, Mm. certainly. But I would also suggest, and this is Nicolette, Pip, Lily and Jen uh, specifically reached out on this. I would suggest also just maybe having hope in the Senate. You know? Yes. So in the Senate, you have the access to every member that all Queenslanders have access to. And that's where you can maybe feel that your vote could be making a difference. Yeah, because we've got
2: heaps more candidates there. You can have a look through that and you can. Above the line is probably the best bet. I would yeah. say that would be my advice. You know, I know part of democracy is you can do whatever you want with that Senate ticket, but if you kind of go above the line, you can just go to for the parties. parties. Yeah. And there's the independents, of, of there. course. Yeah. But, yeah, it does, it does get tricky in some of these regional electorates where there's, you know, not a heap of candidates. so
1: And the Senate is the way you can yep. feel like you've got hope. All right. I've also got quite a few questions about the Greens. Yep. Hi, Sarah. My question is how to find out if voting for... A party like the Greens might mean an outcome where Labor don't get enough votes to win the election. Is a vote for the Green Party to whom I'm most aligned a wasted vote? And there was also this one here from Vimo 100 from Instagram. If you vote for an indie, does your vote fall to their preferred party? And I, more like this, uh, is it Tashbot has written, how do I find my local candidates' preferences and how they are distributed? So I guess the question there, Wendell, is it's very much a confusion and mm. it came up a lot in this series for various people when I was posting call outs for questions. It's this idea that if you vote for somebody, they can actually then steer their preferences wherever they like. Like They hold Mm. your vote captive. But that's an American and UK system. Here with preferential voting, that's not possible. You are in total control of your preferences. And I just think it's really good to emphasise that. Episode seven, um, I go through the whole process of how preferential voting works. It's never wasted. And you can't be too clever. The real important thing, and tell me if you agree with this, get your number one and your number two in the House of Reps sorted, your least favourite person. Make sure you put them in last because the AAC representative I spoke to said to me, in Australia, your last preference, so, you know, if you've got seven candidates in your electorate, you've put them as number seven, will never, ever get your vote it's yes. actually not allowed in yep. Australia. So don't worry about being too tactical.
2: Yeah, I agree. I yeah. think that's great advice. And, yes, that's the important thing to remember. There used to be preference deals in the past here where parties would be negotiating and preferences would flow in the Senate. But now, yeah, you're totally in charge. So you number <gasps> them however you want. That went in
1: 2016, want. I yeah. think. 2016,
2: yeah. they scrapped that. So from now, you are completely in charge of where your preferences go. And the way it works is that you pick the top two parties, you pick the bottom parties, and then you just peel the preferences off and you allocate them to where they go in order of the preferences. So you're in charge, you put the numbers in however you want to do it, and then they will flow. And I think it's never meaningless because ultimately you might vote for, say, if you're a Greens voter who feels like if you had to choose between the Labor and the Liberals, you want the Labor Party to get your vote, well, then you go Greens one, Labor Party two, and that will flow. It's not going to flow to the Liberal Party or United Australia Parliament Party, any of that sort of stuff. So I think that's important to remember that, yeah, you're in charge ultimately of where they go. And if you- feel strongly about a party, you should vote for them regardless. You know, that's that's, that's how right. we get changed. That's how we start seeing different parties come through. And I would also say, I think it's really interesting on that point that, you know, we've heard the major parties talking about how the Greens and the Teals will lead to chaos in Parliament. Yeah. Which is a really interesting one because, you know, as anyone who's followed politics for the last kind of few years or even a decade has seen, we've had numerous prime ministers. The, you know, there was a period there we were going one a year kind of a prime minister. We've had all sorts of rorts. We've had lack. Of accountability. We don't have a federal ICAC. It hasn't exactly been the smoothest process. You know, we call it chaotic. Yeah. We have guys who are accused of incredibly disturbing allegations leveled against significant figures in the government that haven't been dealt with. You know, that sort of stuff to me sounds more like chaos than people who represent different parts of our country having a power and having a voice to be able to say, we want to see a difference and we want to see things done differently, that to me doesn't sound like chaos.
1: And I think the point was made on an episode that I did with Tony Windsor when we were talking about hung parliaments. And if anyone wants to be reminded what a hung parliament is, go and listen to that episode. It's essentially when neither of the major parties get 76 seats out of the 151 seats a point that Tony Windsor brought up also is that you've got the Liberal National Party works like a party with a whole bunch of, with a crossbench, the Nationals being the crossbench. And like you mentioned before, you know, you've got members of the Nationals denying that we're heading towards a net zero commitment. It's like, well, what's the hell's going on? And all of that discussion happens behind closed doors, at least with a hung parliament. And of course, the last time this happened was 2010 with Julia Gillard and the various crossbenches there. It all happened on the parliament's floor. We got, to see it, if you watch Question Time in your lunch break, it was transparent and it got reported on, yeah. and it had to be civilized debate, and the nuances got thrown backwards and forwards. Yeah, it's a bit rich, I think, coming from it the LNP.
2: And I think the Gillard government passed more pieces of yep. legislation per day than uh, any he- other government in, in recent history. history. Yeah,
1: yeah. The Guardian came out with that. Yeah. There's a question here from Gabrielle Anglesi. Will we be able to achieve much action on climate change with a hung parliament? It sort of speaks to that, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it really does. I mean, it depends which way the parliament hangs, I guess. The Greens have said they refuse to make a deal with the LNP and form a hung parliament, um, form a minority government with them. So it would be interesting to see what happens there. I mean, if that does happen with the Labor Party, well- They've got a seven-point wish list, the Greens, with the Labor Party, and one of those points is that no new coal and gas projects are allowed under the government that they run. So,
1: If they want the Greens vote, and the Greens may pick yeah. up an extra seat this in yeah. the House of Reps, which would make it two seats, which yeah. means they would want to be negotiating with these guys, And the Greens, I think, would stick their feet in, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah.
2: So they've said that if they have to form a parliament, they're going to demand these seven things. There's things like they want a million affordable homes built by a government body, dental and mental health added into Medicare. And so, yeah, they've said they're digging their heels in, this is what they want. And then, of course, if there's a couple of teals as well, you'd have to think there really does have to be some action on climate change given that we've got minor parties with the balance of power saying this is at the forefront yeah. of our um, our agenda, we want it to happen.
1: And they're all fairly consistent. They're asking for a very solid EV policy yep. infrastructure and I think Labor has spoken to that mostly. Their commitment for 2030 is, around, is 43%. I think most of the teals are a minimum of 50, which would put them in line with international- And that feels like a- uh, Doable. There could be a compromise there. You know what I mean? There can be a meeting in the middle. The missing point, of course, is, sub- is subsidies to coals or, or coal projects in yes. general. And so, I think it could be really interesting. So, to answer your question, Gabrielle, I actually think it could make the debate really exciting. And yes. I Actually, Wendell, I'm going to ask this question because I've been busting to ask somebody this and I ask around the neighbourhood but people don't seem as interested in the answer or debating it as I am. Do you reckon that the Labor Party has been coming out a little mild, a little bit policy mild, and that there's almost this kind of expectation or anticipation that they could be a minority government and that they could be pushed into much more labour-aligned, traditionally Mm -hmm. labour-aligned policies when they're forced to by a bunch of crossbenches. And it's like, sorry, guys, we had to do this to reflect the democratic process where this needs to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yes. What do you reckon?
2: It's an interesting one. It could potentially be a blessing for them in that sense, not wanting to sound like your cousin who,
1: you know, thinks
2: all politics is bullshit.
1: Um, Do you know my entire extended family? Yeah, yeah. Or, you know,
2: just talk about your old man or whoever who just thinks it's all bullshit and all the parties are the same and there's no point. It does feel like we have had a really light campaign from the Labor Party. You know, there have been a couple of commitments, but there hasn't been anything... Huge. Yes, there's been great stuff in oh, terms of their really reforms to the aged care, but their housing policy, really, there's not a huge difference to their housing policy to the coalition's housing policy in terms of addressing the actual issue of housing supply and the cost of it for people. So, yeah, it feels light and it would be interesting to see what would happen there if there is a minority government forcing them to kind of act on, yeah, I guess what you would say are more traditional kind of labor values but then you know you'd say traditional labor values are supporting coal miners and all that sort of stuff that's been a huge part of their base as well so it'll be interesting to see how they pivot with that and how they you know look at trying to find alternative ways to uh transition out of this Mm. kind of the dying industry that it is
0: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place
1: it certainly speak, I think, to Labor heartland a little bit more directly, whereas I think Labor's really in operation get elected after nine years. of. And
2: it feels like they were really scarred by 2019.
1: Where they came out with 150-something policies and everybody just went, I can't cope.
2: Yeah, and Bill Shorten, you know, it felt like he really struggled to articulate what these policies were and explain to people why these policies may be a good thing for them, from a Labor perspective, you didn't really get a clear idea of what exactly was going on. So yeah, it seems like they've just peeled back and are going, let's get elected. Interesting to see what happens when they get elected, if they do something different, because you know they're opening themselves up if they start all of a sudden bringing in these big policies, and it allows the coalition to attack.
1: While we're talking policies and lack thereof, are there any that you've really kind of liked, and that you think are kind of important, but Mm. maybe people have Missed along the way amidst all the, you know, argy-bargy.
2: I mean, it is tricky in terms of the major parties, the policies, because there hasn't been heaps of them. I think finding a way to increase... Incomes for people who work in aged care, increase the wages in aged care. I think that's a really interesting one because obviously, you know, it, we've got a, we've had an aged care crisis and we still do have an aged care crisis. So it's interesting to see someone actually go and combat that because that's, you know the yeah. average the average worker in those facilities can be on twenty dollars ninety seven an hour or twenty one ninety seven an hour, not a huge amount of money, less than the cleaner. Yeah, less than the cleaner. Exactly. So I think that was an interesting one put forward. Other than that. I don't know if there's been too many kind of left field ones. As I said, I was disappointed that we haven't really seen anything to address the housing crisis from either of the major parties. I mean, that Greens one is interesting that they're going to build a million affordable homes. Obviously, there needs to be costings and all that. Their whole plan, their seven-point plan, which involves dental and Medicare, mental health, all that sort of stuff as well. They reckon it will cost, I think, 179 billion over four years, and they're saying they're going to do things like introduce a billionaires tax, cut down on tax avoidance. That's what I found really sort of
1: interesting and probably exciting. Mm. Is somebody mm. was actually talking about taxing billionaires?
2: Yes, and and that seemed like a big picture. And you know, there'll be also all sorts of arguments about, oh, well, if we tax billionaires, then that gets pushed down on. To average everyday Australians, all that sort of stuff. But hmm. fundamentally, I think most people can agree taxing billionaires a bit more and making sure they're not cracking down on tax avoidance probably is a pretty good thing.
1: Yeah. And the major parties are very unwilling to do it. It's going to have yeah. to take the Greens or the Indies to push that one. All right. So, let's flick to the other side. What's the most ridiculous, re- ridiculous policy. I know there's a lot to choose from here that you've seen put forward in the last sort of, you know, six weeks.
2: Yeah. Look, I mean, there could be strong arguments made for the government's policy, which allows people to withdraw their super to get a deposit for a home. You know, obviously the economics- No one likes it. No. I don't know anyone who likes it. Yeah. It's not a great idea. When you've got the superannuation minister coming out and saying that's actually going to drive the prices of homes up- it's a confusing one to help with the housing crisis it's going to drive that price of a house up um, and obviously the long-term effects of having people raid their super, you know, that was something that took us a long time to get set up and has significant benefits. That's a concerning one. The one that I think is kind of the most out there and ridiculous is United Australia Party's policy of yes. capping mortgages at 3%. 3%. I think there is kind of precedent in different countries and previously about, you know, having a bit more control over that, but how exactly that works, the reserve. Bank sets that, then the banks follow it. So, how the government is going to dictate that, you know, we're going to keep the interest rates at a certain level? There's a reason they raise them and bring them back down, you know, all to do with inflation and all that sort of stuff. So, it's interesting that the government's going to be in control of that. If they're making sure that homeowners have their mortgage capped at 3%, are they going to be chipping in? So if, you know, the banks Mm. need to raise them up and they need to, you know, help curb inflation. Is Clive Palmer going
1: to come and save us all? Mm. Is
2: Clive going to be tipping into that campaign war chest to help, you know, make sure no one's paying more than 3% on their mortgage? And, of course, it hasn't
1: been costed. Nothing has been costed. It's just freedom, freedom, freedom. you can
2: just go with it. So there's obviously arguments about truth in political advertising that maybe need to be seen. Anything from you? Any crazy ones you've seen?
1: Yeah, I agree with the super thing because one of the stupid things about it is that those that's meant to help, i.e. young people, people who've mm-hmm. been left out of the, the housing market, they're not going to actually be able to raid enough super because you can only raid up to 40%. And most young people don't even have 20K in super. Yeah. So, 40% of that is what? $8,000. Yeah. That won't get you a deposit on the house. So
2: mm-hmm. Not the way house prices are skyrocketing. And yeah, I mean, the it thing with super as well is that's such a crucial early part to continue building and compounding and you it's take that away. It's worth more probably. Yeah, it's given worth more. We're in a housing
1: bubble and it's likely to burst. So the other one is, of course, the petrol excise, halving of it. You know, it's going to cost $2.9 billion. And I think even people that it's meant to be targeting also go, yeah, it doesn't really make sense when we're meant to be cutting emissions. Like, why focus on that? I guess the dumb stuff is all the stuff that's been thrown at us in the last- couple of weeks we can't help but be cynical right
2: yeah yeah on the even election seeing that sort of stuff it'll be a lot of fun for whichever government is in charge in a couple of weeks time when they inevitably have to raise the excise at a certain point in time
1: well, it's only meant to last till September, but yeah. I think, I think Labor came out just, you know, Wednesday morning and said, yeah, it's a tricky one. Don't yeah. think we can go there. Anyway. Okay. I get this question on Instagram in the comments. What would you advise people, especially young people in the disadvantaged to swat up on? What policies should they really look out for? So this is, you know, young disadvantaged people. There hasn't been a heap. It
2: feels like in terms of policies for young people. As you said, the housing policy hasn't really addressed any of the underlying issues. There, you know, we're still trying to figure out where we are on climate change, which is an issue that's going to affect a lot of young Australians as they grow older. It's a tricky one to know what policies to look up on. I mean, I would say you just got to try and look up on as many policies as you can from the different parties to be informed. Stepping outside of our own Peter newspaper, obviously our vote compass, we've had some technical issues, isn't working at the moment. But the ABC does have a really good vote compass that you just mentioned. And um I think that's a good way you can kind of punch in how you feel about certain things and they can tell you what you're leaning towards. But you know, I think it is it is good. Just go and have a look. And and I think the thing to say is take it all with a grain of salt as well. Every single you know policy spelt out on every single political party's page is going to have a a little bit of bullshit in it. So take it all with a grain of salt, kind of see it, it where is you hard.
1: land. It is really hard to navigate all of this and it really is just you've got to follow it. It only happens every three years, Yeah, yeah you yeah. know.
2: Yeah, and but, we're almost there, you know. Yeah, I'm spend the next listening.
1: 24 hours yeah. just, you know, flicking through Vote Compass because you can actually put in your type in your postcode or your electorate yeah. and it'll actually give you a really good overview of the candidates yeah. in your electorate. Spend your Friday night just doing that so that you don't waste your vote. Would be my hot tip. Yeah. Yeah. What about on Batuta? What kind of questions are you being asked? What granular type of questions? Like
2: mm, we've had a lot of questions around preferences as well. Obviously, a lot of people concerned, and I think because of media hype in the past about preferences and preference well, deals and all that sort of what stuff. What
1: LMPs coming out with? Yes, they're going. You know. Um, If you vote for an independent, it means that they're going to be, it's a vote for Labor and all of this kind of thing. Yeah, a vote for Labor
2: is a vote for the Greens, a vote for One Nation is a vote for the LNP. So, we hear all this sort of stuff. So, we get heaps and heaps of questions about preferences and people being concerned that there's preference deals going on. But that, yeah.
1: I think people also get confused around the how to vote cards because that's the other place that people can have influence. And that's where a lot of the parties are talking this kind of stuff. So, how to vote cards, you get handed them, you can't miss them. When you yep. arrive at the polls they get thrust at you. And the various parties basically sh- Try to tell you how to vote. So yes. it's number one, vote for me, and then you know they then tell you what your preferences should be. Now my advice would be to ignore those. And yep. in fact, most of the independents are not doing preferences, so they put number one, say Allegra Spender, yep. but then she leaves the rest blank. She just
2: do it however she you said. Want. As yep.
1: being an independent means I don't tell you what your second and third and whatever vote should be. So it's a little bit of a moot point. And also, I. Learned the other day that only 30% of Australians use those how to vote cards.
2: They can be powerful and they, you know, it stirs up all this imagery of, yeah, preference deals and all that sort of stuff, but really they're just guidelines. They're just, this is how the party that you're potentially going to vote for wants you to vote in which order, but you don't have to follow it at all and just vote however you feel and make sure you've got the numbers in all the boxes. So it counts for the House of Representatives and then for the Senate, you just got to do six.
1: And then 12 below. Or
2: 12 below. Yeah. Technically, though,
1: so, yeah, preferences is a big one for you. Yeah, preferences you. is a big one. And we can shut one. that one down. Yeah. It's taken care of by our wonderful preferential voting system. Yeah. And part two, do not pick up a how-to-vote card and you're on your own. Nobody yeah. can take anything away you, from you. You are
2: in charge. You're yeah. master of your own destiny. And the other, one of the other ones we get a lot is around polling and how much, you know, we can trust the polls this time around. Obviously, we've
1: sort of covered that, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, we've covered mm. that.
2: So I think um, those are kind of the two big questions we've been here with. Obviously, we get stuff about, you know, what's the difference in the housing policy how do you feel about this is this corruption is this bullshit you know so it is deciphering
1: yeah. the the corruption isn't it I think yeah. that's the really big thing I pick up on that's a really good point Wendell is that there's outrage. And then it's how much of that outrage are we meant to believe because I can't believe that can be quite true in 2022. And then, okay, if it is as bad as you're saying it is or at least presenting, how do I ensure these fuckers don't get back in? That seems to be the general kind of path of things, isn't it? Yeah,
2: just trying to make sense of it all. And as you said, so much information, so much stuff going out there. So just trying to decipher through it all and figure out as quickly as possible what is bullshit. What is a little bit bullshit and what isn't bullshit.
1: That's why we need an ICAC.
2: Yeah. A federal ICAC now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird how these um current government politicians are so opposed to having they really a federal don't like ICAC. It. Yeah. Mm. It makes makes it seem like maybe there is something going on. But mm. look, they tell us there's nothing to hide. So
1: nothing to see.
2: Probably all good, you know, probably no dramas there.
1: Look, everyone just go back to being quiet Australians, will you? That's it. We yeah. should all be quiet Australians. Don't ask questions. All right, so we're almost there. I I feel we're inching close to the the deadline that is election day. And I'm going to be honest, I've been pretty vocal and unapologetic about my opinions in terms of I really don't want Scott Morrison and the LNP back in. It's just got that bad. And usually I'm really quiet, kind of measured. You know, last election, the one before, I did similar campaigns where it was just all about getting people educated and fired up. You work it out, but here's the information. This time, I actually feel a responsibility, or at least I feel like I've got a license to say enough is enough. This is so bad. And it's almost like what we see happening over in Europe and the States, you know, where things have got bad, like. There are dictatorships mm. and there are democracies being seriously eroded. So my modus operandi is saving democracy and saving the values that define Australia as I grew up loving it, you know. I also think that there's a lot of people who are sticking their heads up and being really vocal on vote them out, you yeah. know, hashtag vote them out. What's your take? Like, how does Batuta Advocate navigate this space? I mean, you guys go pretty hard, but, you know, you also as a reputable set of journalists, you want to make sure that you're being, you're mm. representing the truth. So how do you yeah, navigate Yeah, that? I
2: mean, look, I guess it's a bit like cricket. You just, you're playing every ball as you see it. You know, we're not, trying to go after any guys more than any others. We're just trying to make sure that we're, you know, reporting these things as we do in our, you know, traditional uh, conservative Western Queensland news style. And we're just trying to put all these things forward and just get out as much information and break as many stories as we can. So give it to the people and the people can kind of decide where they want to go with it. But, you know, ultimately we're just a local newspaper trying to do our thing. And, um, you know, if there's people in different parts of the country who are getting our paper because it's syndicated online now, that's great. But, you know, we, we first and foremost, we do focus on our local community and there's a lot of local stuff that we don't put up on our social I've media. I've noticed that yeah, actually, yeah. So like you'll see, yeah, if you get a <laughs> copy of The Advocate out in Queensland, you'll see there's a lot of local stuff there. And we do you know we do do some national stuff as well, but ultimately we just try and put the information out there and just let people uh, make the decision mm. for themselves. So If I
1: was to grab a Batuta beer with you on Saturday night yep. after it's all said and done, what would be your take as a you know regular regular guy just hanging out in Sydney for for the weekend?
2: Yeah, um, look, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. It's so hard to know what's going to happen on Saturday night. You know, like the polls predict that the Labor Party has a strong lead, but then there's different permutations. If we have a minority government, how much power do the Greens have? How much power do the Teals have? Do One Nation and Clive Palmer do they would be jag ideal a couple of seats
1: for you? I Can don't I know. look in um, terms of reflect. And I'm asking you as somebody who has witnessed where mm-hmm. you know, you, I think you've got over a million different followers across different platforms, I'd say more actually. Um, You're witnessing the mood and everything Mm. on behalf of your listeners, your readers, and so on. What would you see as, and also as somebody who cares about democracy, um, what would you love to see happening?
2: Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, look, from a personal perspective, it would be interesting to see how a minority government would work in terms of it would generate, obviously, a lot of traction online for us. Another Scott Morrison government would um, also be quite good, I think, for our online coverage as well. More voices in politics I can't see why that's a bad thing at this point in time. Maybe that will change. I don't know. But, you know, from a philosophical standpoint, there's hope, I think, in the sense that, you know, there are different voices coming and trying to make Australia a better place and push for change. But then also, you know, there's um, it's a bit grim in the sense that if, you know, we see another LNP government, well, they've essentially, you know, been rewarded for not acknowledging the kind of faults in regards to, say, the vaccine rollout, sports rorts, car parks rorts, Women. all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Women's issues, having a couple of very high profile politicians accused of pretty crook things, having awful stuff happen within their ranks. If they get voted back in, well, it's, you know, you look at it as a reward for that. If the Labour Party get voted in, well, what exactly, as we mentioned, what policies have they offered up? There hasn't been heaps of it. Feels like they're getting rewarded for not really offering much up in for terms of not being of a policy. Scott Morrison. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of feels like these two horses, one of them potentially is going to get in and they're going to be rewarded for not really offering the nation much in terms of a alternative vision forward. So look, I hope there's more of the positive stuff of different voices and change coming and some action to kind of make the best of what we've got here. But, you know, there's also another chance that it could just be the political cycle rolls on and one of the Mm. major parties has control and we don't see heaps from either of them, really. But I don't know. What are you looking forward to? Obviously, uh, Scott Morrison, uh, free government in 2022.
1: Yeah. I I have to be honest on that. Yes, I feel that way. It's interesting, actually. I, I think John Howard's doing some robocalls around the place and it starts off with now is not the time for change. And really what I'm motivated by is the idea that, yes, now is the time for change. And that's really what I'm getting excited by, is that um, we can't have more of the same. We have been in a policy gridlock, but we've also been in a philosophical or national identity kind of quagmire. And it's making people depressed. Yeah. Uh, and it's making people cringy and itchy and feeling really kind of wrong. We used to be loved on the world stage, you know, and now I've got friends who've had to front up, you know, in Paris with their Australian passport and it's like their name is mud, you know, they're almost spat on. So yeah, I I, I feel that now is the time for change. We can't wait another three years. So I'm excited. I personally am somebody who gets excited by change and, you know, putting bombs under things. And I think that the independence of a Coming through. A lot of them, Wendell, are a lot more conservative. Like their backgrounds are very conservative. They're mostly former liberal voters, you know, who've got annoyed with the Liberal Party, and that's why they've decided to run. So, like, it's not as though I've got a natural affinity necessarily, but I do see that they care about these fundamental values-based things. And we need a swing back to that. And I think. I'm really tactical on this. I have been pushing this idea of the independence and to the Greens as well. They've emerged as, I think, a really strong, viable, sensible party in this election campaign, to be honest, because they have done proper costings and they've actually got some progressive ideas to throw into the mix. So, as I say, I've been tactical because I think we need a shakeup. We need the change. And it's backed by research done by the Grant Institute. You know, this is not just my opinion. And, you know, a lot of commentators, serious commentators have said, yeah, independence and a really vibrant crossbench will get some of these really important policies back on the agenda. And a Labor Party, I think, is better equipped to negotiate. They've got a better set of skills and operators within the party to negotiate complex issues with a crossbench. And if
2: something like that happens, I just hope we look at it as an opportunity to kind of work together and come together. Obviously, there's so many you know, different people within our society. There's so many different sectors, communities but there are common grounds for all of us. So it'd be nice to see whichever parties are in power come together and try and find common ground and just try and bring it all back together a little bit. You know, it feels like we are becoming a little bit more polarized like you America. Know. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it'd be nice to see it kind of be brought back together and, these people come together and go like, all right, let's actually work towards a common goal, which is making the country a better place.
1: Make Australia great. That's <laughs> I it. I can't make believe Australia I just said that. <laughs> make Australia
2: great again. Let's hope we
1: see it, hey? Yeah. Good on you, mendel I really appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Sarah. Great to chat. So I set out on this wild ride, um, aiming to find a way to navigate this election to ensure that what I called the four pillars of care would be addressed going forward in Australia. And that is the four pillars are climate crisis, gender violence and the gender gap, corruption, and I suppose you'd call it a need for a federal ICAC, and of course, a First Nations voice to parliament. And I actually did throw in a fifth at some point, and that is sort of the class problem that we're seeing, the growing gap between the haves and the have-nots. And now with, like, the cost of living as a really key factor in this election, I think that that really needs to be in there as another pillar of care. They've all become really big issues for Australians, and I think many of us feel that they're crucial to our sense of pride, prosperity, well-being, and our identity. So, along the way, we talked through the Grattan Institute report that was published in July. And it kind of summed up that what we're all feeling was factually accurate. You know, they identified a policy gridlock and they identified that some of these pillars of care, you know, that really go to the important heart of a nation were just not being addressed. You know, we were in a stalemate. And what they said was that the two major parties were never going to address them because they have too many vested interests in not getting these issues onto the agenda. And the Grattan Institute pointed out that the solution was to get a crossbench of independents and Greens who will push for these issues and preferably with a minority government. We explored all of these issues as we went along, you know, the 11 episodes that we we traversed. And what do you know? The stats came in showing that, well, up to 40% of people were not going to vote for the major parties. They're sick of this gridlock. Oh, and what do you know? These independents that I'd been talking about gained some incredible traction, and they were campaigning on these very four to five pillars of care. Now, initially, we were talking about maybe getting three of them up into this crossbench. Well, it looks like it could be quite a few more. What we've learned, I think, along the way is that a vote for an independent is not a waste of a vote. We've got the best system in the world, a preferential voting system that ensures our vote goes to who we want to lead this country. Okay. So we don't have to mind map things or get too tricky. We've also learned that a hung parliament does not necessarily mean a chaotic parliament. In fact, it really does look like it could restore democracy to this country and reduce the fragmentation and polarization. What I've learned also is that a large crossbench could be a really good thing. And, you know, we're probably going to see this in the Senate. Tony Windsor points that out in the episode we do about hung parliaments. So, what would be the ideal scenario? I get asked this a lot and, look, I'm going to put it on the line. As I said to Wendell in our chat, I'm purely pragmatic I basically want a setup that will break the policy gridlock and get some movement, some freshness and some aliveness around these really important issues. So to this end, I think that we are probably going to be best served if one of the two parties has to hold a minority government, you know, or close to that. And that will put them in a position where they have to negotiate and discuss things with nuance, listen to diversity, and be open to new ideas. I think it'll see democracy play out in a way healthier way. So, which of the major parties is going to be best for that? Well, over the course of this series, I obviously consulted a lot of advocate groups, think tanks, policy groups, and got their recommendations and their various pledge sheets. And it really looks like that Labour policy probably speaks to 70 to 80% of these recommendations or pledges. I would say that the LMP speaks to virtually none, and the independents and the Greens largely get a tick on most of these recommendations and reports from the various women's groups, climate, First Nations groups. Also, going by the interviews with the biographers of Scott Morrison and Anthony Albanese, it would appear that Anthony Albanese is way more experienced and equipped to run these kinds of negotiations with perhaps less yelling, less lying, less noise. So I would suggest you draw your own conclusions from there, but they're my thoughts. And in many ways, I think this election will come down to whether or not we think change is critically required or not. As I say, you know, the LMP is saying now is not the time to change. I personally would argue it is. It's absolutely the time to change. But again, you form your own opinions. So yes, I can't tell you how to vote, but I can remind you how and where you can do a last minute SWAT before Sunday. So you can start with this podcast, maybe go and listen to a bunch of the episodes, particularly the episode on how to vote, maybe the Hung Parliament episode with Tony Windsor and the Grattan Institute chat with Danielle Wood, and I think that's episode three. Also go to Vote Compass. I mentioned that a few times in this episode. You can also go to Fair Agenda and the Vote One Climate sort of widgets which provide a scorecard on gender and climate for each and every uh, representative running this election. So as I say, I set out really wanting to navigate a path forward that enabled us to vote give a shit, you know, to use the hashtag that I use about the place. I reckon we've all gone some way to pushing the dial towards more giving of shits, like I really do. And I think the future is looking bright and dynamic from this vantage point. But whatever the outcome You know what? I reckon we're going to see the end of gotcha questions from journalists, which is a great thing. I think lies and bullying will now be called out far earlier and far more often. I think we're going to see more women in parliament one way or another. And I think a lot of Australians have been shaken up enough to want to take responsibility for our democracy again, or to quote, Jackie Lambie, who I've become rather fond of over the years. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. There's one last question that um, came in from my Instagram call out from Gemma Daw. How will we cope emotionally and environmentally if a coalition wins? And I think No Salor has also written something. What are the next steps if LNP wins? Well, that's an interesting one. The Batuta boys, um, and I talked about this too after we'd finished the chat. Um, there was a bunch of them in the office. Look, it's the will of the people and we've got to accept that. And there's so much to be done after the election. We will have to fight the climate battle elsewhere with industry and so on. And I think it's actually going to be more fruitful. There's also going to be a referendum on a voice to parliament for indigenous people. And I'm hoping that will happen whatever party comes into power. And so we will also need to campaign on that. So there's a lot of work to be done. So everyone listening, please enjoy voting. Please enjoy being part of our future and make sure you fill in all the boxes in the house of reps and six above the line or 12 below the line on the Senate ballot paper and have a ball at whatever election party you end up at. One last thing I will ask is please do rate this podcast. I chose to do this series for free. I switched platforms halfway through to Acast and decided not to take on advertising. But look, lots of stars and reviews will certainly put me in good stead to get this podcast sponsored going forward. So go to the show page on either Apple or Spotify and please put a rating in there and a comment if you like. And if you're a brand or corporate listening and want to support what I do, you know, look, I've officially got a shingle out saying currently taking sponsorships. I'd love to work with you if you feel my message is, you know, creating a better Australia. We will return to the normal format next week. I've got an awesome lineup of guests. Until then, please stay wild.